Welcome to the Tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week we'll be covering a new investment into Factory Berlin. So that's coming from Klaus Hommels, who's the founder of Lakestar, rumored to have invested a seven-digit sum into that structure. We'll also be discussing Facebook's head of public policy in Europe, Erica Mann, who has announced that she will be stepping down. And Neil, you also had a chance to catch up with one of the co-founders of Opera, Jan Stefansson von Schneer, I hope I'm saying that correctly, um, on what he's currently working on, so we will catch up with you on that as well. So first, turning our attention to Klaus Hommel's massive investment into Factory Berlin. I think for anyone who doesn't know Klaus, you should know him. He's currently based in Zurich. He's one of the founders of Lakestar, which we mentioned on an earlier podcast, is essentially the second largest fund in Europe behind Index. Klaus himself is an incredible investor. If you look at his portfolio, some of his investments include Skype, Facebook, King.com, Spotify, and Klarna. So I think uh, not a bad portfolio to have. He's now putting a good chunk of money into Factory Berlin, which is the space in Berlin that's essentially, I think it's over 10,000 square meters. It's like a campus for startups in Germany's startup capital, housing the likes of SoundCloud, Twitter, Uber, Zendesk, and what have you. Yeah, this is quite an interesting, almost a, a sector, because WeWork just announced that they were moving into Berlin as well. Um, so whether this uh, investment is a move to kind of counter WeWork's coming arrival, it would be interesting to see whether this was already going to happen anyway and try and consolidate Factory Berlin. So Klaus Hommel's actually made a statement regarding his investment, and I guess he also took a board seat. So his statement essentially says that this is primarily a move to support the local ecosystem. It's kind of one of those philanthropic type things. Although from my perspective, okay, maybe it's to counter rework going there, but I also am thinking it's probably a really smart move for his deal flow as well. Yeah, I would agree with that to a certain extent, because actually we've seen this before in other cities as well. I mean, Lakestar, they, I don't know if they've kind of put money into, but they definitely support different co-working spaces around Europe. They're in Sub46 in Stockholm, for example. So Lakestar back them. I believe it's a financial backing in some shape or form. I'm not entirely sure. But what we do see is them supporting these kind of community initiatives. And a lot of VCs do it as well, especially in the Nordics, actually, kind of support these efforts which bring the community together because i mean whether it's for deal flow precisely or whether it's just because it means they will get a better deal flow rather than kind of directly looking at it either way i mean if you have a thriving ecosystem in the area that you are investing in it's going to benefit you so yeah i mean it may be for good intentions and just supporting the ecosystem but of course there's always a payoff and that's how investors look at everything right there's always got to be some sort of payoff for them and so the factory, I don't know if you've been there. It's truly a great site. I actually, I haven't been there since it opened, but it looks like they're planning some really ambitious extension projects. Uh, I think they have other locations in Germany coming. They've announced three additional locations they want to do in Berlin alone that are supposed to open next year. 
Yeah, no, I didn't actually get a chance to go to it when I was there, but I mean, it, it was mentioned to me as much as the Berlin Wall. So it has a big kind of name and a big impact in the city. Many people, everyone I spoke to as well was kind of raving about it. I know they were hosting some big events while I was in town as well. So it's quite clear that the community kind of gathers there. And from what I understand, I mean, Berlin seems to have a couple of decent co-working spaces already. But my kind of gut instinct was that the factory was a little bit more than that. And it was kind of like a, it was a community hub more than just an office space. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. It's, it seems to kind of be the core of the Berlin startup ecosystem. So now turning our attention away from Berlin and to Facebook, we have Erica Mann, who's Facebook's European head of public policy, who's announced that she will be stepping down. So Erica, I guess originally from Germany, is a former member of the European Parliament. In addition to her very high profile job at Facebook, which she has been doing since 2011, She's also the board on the board of ICANN. She announced that she'll be stepping down from her current role, but has not said yet where she will be going. It looks like she will be replaced as of January 1st by Thomas Merup Christensen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who was previously a senior EU policy director at Microsoft. He joined Facebook also in 2011. And while he's originally from Denmark, he's been overseeing uh, Facebook's policy for the Nordics, Eastern Europe and Russia region, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's come at an interesting time for Facebook. I mean, pretty much the same week as this announcement has come, they've also kind of released some numbers about how they're doing in Europe. And from a business perspective, they're doing very well. Whether or not kind of policy has hindered them or not in this, I don't know. But on paper, it looks like they're doing very well. They have 315 million monthly active users, over a billion in quarterly revenue. And their revenue has actually more than doubled in Europe in just the last two years. And it's actually of those 315, 15 million monthly active, it's 230 million daily active users in Europe as well. So Facebook definitely isn't slowing down in Europe and actually kind of their influence and impact is increasing. So it is quite interesting to see that this change has happened pretty much along the same time as this has been announced. Yeah. And so it sounds like they're doing very well. But on the policy side, it may be a difficult time for Facebook in Europe. Sounds like it could be potentially a very difficult role to have data protection and privacy, very serious and almost kind of different topics in Europe, perhaps with regards to the rest of the world. The New York Times published an article earlier this year suggesting that Facebook was, and I quote, the latest American tech giant that Europeans love to hate. So that's not putting them in the best position. And I guess we've also recently seen some local cases like the one of Max Schrems, who's the Austrian student, essentially crusading in Europe to say that Facebook is illegally handling data in Europe. Yeah, I mean, the, the only kind of positive for Facebook is the fact that I would probably say Uber is the is the main American <laughs> tech giant that Europeans That's love to true. hate. I don't think they could compete with Uber on that front, so they shouldn't feel too sorry for themselves. But yeah, we don't make it easy. We've said on the podcast before, you know, we don't make it easy for these kind of American tech giants to come across and operate in Europe. It's certainly, yeah, there's a lot more kind of political governmental restrictive policies in Europe than there perhaps is in the US. At least it appears to be more complicated here if you're coming into Europe. So yeah, it's a very challenging role. But like I said, it doesn't seem to be affecting them too much financially. Definitely. So now we'll turn our attention away from Facebook and to what the co-founder of 
Opera Software is currently working on. So you had a chance to catch up with him this week. That's Jan Stephenson von Tretschner, I think I'm saying that correctly. Obviously, I think most of Europe probably has heard of Opera Software. If not, it's a Norwegian company primarily known for its web browsers. There were actually rumors earlier in the summer that they were seeking an acquirer. So the co-founder and former CEO, who's originally from Iceland, is now working on a new, looks like it's a new browser project called Vivaldi, but I guess we'll hear from you on on what he's working on. So what did you guys actually have a chance to discuss? Yeah, I mean, actually, he just happened to be in London. So we'd never met before. But yeah, we caught up in the Hilton on Park Lane. I turned up with my backpack and trainers and he was having a meal on the top floor in a restaurant. So I felt very place immediately. But John uh, quickly put me at, at ease. I mean, he, he really is like, a, especially in the Nordics, I mean, he's someone who's been around from pretty much the beginning, right? So Opera was 94, 95. So really, from the early days of the internet, someone who's been around in the scene for such a long time. So definitely one of the most interesting people I've met in terms of his experience and the stories that he had to tell. But also he's very candid as well, which is refreshing. I mean, he left Opera. He then went on to build Vivaldi, which I'll talk about in a second. Essentially, Vivaldi is what he couldn't fulfill at Opera after he'd left. Or like they didn't go in a direction that he hoped they would or they stopped going in that direction. So he kind of continued that kind of personal mission that he had when he started Opera and is now doing it Vivaldi. So, you know, it is a little bit of a kind of delicate situation, but it really is a story of a person who's driven by a certain goal. And in John's case, it's about making a better browser. It's about making a user-friendly browser. So it's very fascinating to get his insight on that. I mean, you mentioned uh, potential acquirers for Opera. From my conversation, I certainly believe that that is correct. They are at least entertaining the thought of of selling the company. But in terms of what he's doing now, so he's doing Vivaldi. It is a browser. They released their beta earlier this week. But they did a technical preview before that. I guess you could call it an alpha. And they had 2 million people download it during that. So it's it's going really, really well. I mean, part of that reason is, is because it's John. It's because it is so many people loved what he was doing at Opera and what they achieved there. The kind of where he's gone next is that he has many people who still kind of believe in that vision as well. I guess one of the best insights he gave is that he felt like taking on investment in opera was was ultimately what led to a lot of the problems. So a lot of people got fired in the end when basically the, the company had to let a lot of people go. Investors wanted them to sell the company. They just wanted to build a big company. But I think they lasted five years before they took investment in. And John basically said, you know, having external investors came in, it was very, very challenging from that point on. And it it kind of almost made it harder. So in terms of the lessons he learned from that, he said he's actually going to avoid external investment as much as he can with Vivaldi. Uh, He's currently funding it himself. He had a payoff from Opera when he went. So I kind of very cheekily suggested that Technically, Opera are now funding Vivaldi, which, you know, it's a joke, but, you know, it's half true. So it's quite interesting to see him kind of fulfill this mission with Vivaldi, which he ultimately didn't get to follow through at Opera. So, yeah. So I'm just wondering, I mean, he's working on so many browser projects. How is Vivaldi going to be different from the others? Did he mention or suggest anything to you? Yeah, I mean, it's about putting the user first. So I think it's about rethinking the browser experience. Well, actually, the analogy that I made to him 
it's a natural step because if you think about how, you know, when we used to watch TV, TV was just dictated to us, right? You watch X at 6 p.m. or whatever. And then Netflix came along or, you know, many other things came along. And now you the, the user kind of has some control over that. And I guess that's what Vilvaldi is trying to bring to the browser. So they want to give, when you go into Vilvaldi, you can kind of make it work for how you want to make it work. So it's about kind of taking that on-demand and convenience that we're so used to getting online now into a browser, which kind of makes sense because, you know, the browser is the first thing that you do when you go on a web. That is the web in many ways. So it feels like a natural progression for how the internet has changed how we consume stuff to actually then bring that to the internet itself. Yes, that makes sense. Cool. So I think that's about it for this week. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please do go ahead and leave us a review. If you like listening to the show, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Neil S.W. Murray or at Roxanne Vaza and our Twitter account at TechEuth at tech underscore EU website, obviously tech.eu. And please give us your feedback. We always listen. We're always looking to improve the show. So we would love to hear from you. But that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil.